Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting edition of the Decibel Geek Podcast. I am Aaron Camaro. Joining me in the Decibel Geek Broadcast Studios, as always, the one and only Mr. Chris Zinzak. And uh, we've got a special guest today. We're really excited to talk to him. We're going to get to talk to him here in a minute. Chris, why don't you go ahead and let the people know what we've got in store for him today. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking to uh, Russ Dwarf who was the singer, and I guess still is the singer for Killer Dwarfs, a uh, band that, w- that got some pretty big in Canada and had some success down here in the States back in the 80s. Um, got to thank Mitch LaFon from Brave Words for uh, hooking us up with this interview. Mitch is a good friend of Russ's. Thanks, Mitch. So, uh, yeah, Mitch has been on the show many times and will be more in the future, but I uh, want to thank him for hooking us up with Russ. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, get some answers on some questions of that uh, – that, we, that I've had for these guy, for this guy for a long time. Yeah, um, we've got some good ones lined up too. Yeah, there's some some interesting stories I'm sure he's going to share with us. And uh, and now, without further ado, here's Russ Dwarf. It's cool to talk to you today. You too. Where are you guys? We're in Nashville, Tennessee. Beautiful. How's the weather today? It's beautiful. It's about 80 degrees and sunny. Yeah, it's <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Yeah, that's nice. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade with you at all because I hate cold weather. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. So. Oh, you did? 
I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian, but uh, I'm definitely not built for this shit anymore. <laughs> I've been in California for 10 years, and, and I'm just, I'm sick of the winters. I came back up here in 95, and I'm, the older I get, I can't take it. It's depressing, right? Yeah. I tell you, man, I grew I grew up in Wisconsin, you know. I moved down here to Nashville. I love it. Yeah, you know the weather then, you know. For sure. Be like. And we don't get we don't get her out to severely kick here where I am, but you know, we're just above Buffalo. They usually get it. And above us they get it, but you know, it's still it's just a, it's six months of misery, you know. Where are you at up there? Uh I'm in a place called Richmond Hills, just right above Toronto. Mm-hmm. Just right off the longest street in the world, Young Street. Nice. This is where I, this was my hometown when I was like a baby and shit like that. But um, okay. We're getting ready to move. We've just had a lot of, we've had actually a lot of trauma. You're going to hit, you're interviewing me, so I'm going to have to tell you all this trauma. <laughs> <laughs> we've had two two years of just a bunch of tragedies and shit happen in the family, so. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah it's crap, and it's still going on, so we're just, uh, you know, and then to insult the injuries, all this housing crap we've been going through. Just see, we just aren't are getting the break these days. Yeah. But hey, we have hot water today. We don't have to go to my mother-in-law's for a shower. Well, that's, that's good. That's see, nice. things are looking up already. <laughs> they are, yeah. There you go. Oh man, well um, yeah, well let's talk about some happier times for you then, hopefully. Yeah. And so, um, are, are you gonna record this and you're gonna play it later? Is this the deal? Yeah, it's a, it's it'll be recorded and then it's it's just a down, basically a downloadable radio show. Okay, and so and you obviously play all the the, the classic metal and rock. And oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's mostly discussion, but we do play tracks here and there. Okay, I uh, yeah, I just haven't had a chance to get around to hearing the hearing the stuff. That's cool. Yeah, we just. Guys. We just had done one where we uh, rated the top five Kiss songs from the non-makeup era, oh and that, that went over pretty well. I bet. Mitch was probably all over that one. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you know Mitch pretty well, so you know. I do know Mitch well, yeah. I'm almost as big of a Kiss nerd, and so is Aaron as he is. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a Kiss fan myself. And, uh, you know, I saw them when I was a kid. Uh-huh. I'm probably way older than you, Cass, but I saw them when I was 16, Destroyer tour, Love Gun tour, blah blah blah, and then we ended up in the studio, the same studio as them. I don't know, I can't remember what album it was. It was when Esmond came back. Yeah, that was uh, the Revenge album in '91. Yeah, we were we were doing Method to the Madness. We were tracking in the studio. And they were there. And we spent a couple of weeks with them. It's pretty much running away from them by the end. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> it was, it, it, you know, it's fun for a minute, right? Because you're. You know, I'm a fan first. Yeah, sure. Of Brock, right? You know? Oh man. Cool. So you're, you, what were what were you guys just happened to be in the studio at the same time at the same place? We did. They were doing some tracking, and uh, we were uh, we were tracking some drums for the for the record and uh, in Hollywood. And uh, it was kind of it was it's fun, always fun to see people that you you know idolize and stuff, right? But sometimes you don't kind of wrecks it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way it goes sometimes. It's got to be kind of gratifying, though, at the same time to know that, you know, you're in a place where, hey, we're in the same studio recording as Kiss. You know, we're doing yeah. something right here. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it all kind of wears off after a while. But, you know, it is fun for sure. Like I said, I'm a fan of, of music, and, and these, are, these are people that, you know, totally looked up to and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely... It's not your normal everyday life, <laughs> right? You know, let's put it that way. Well, I read that the 
that you, Alice Cooper was a big influence on you. Um, was he? I, I kind of get that vibe from not only Killer Doris but you personally, where because you're rather animated on stage, and um, there's always been a great underlying kind of hu- sense of humor to the stuff you've done. For sure, definitely. Well, you know, we always had uh, you know a motto: you got to laugh or you're gonna cry. And when the going gets tough, the other dwarfs quit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll give you the 350 show for two bucks. You know, we were we came from that era of you know you want to show. Mm-hmm. You want to give people something, some entertainment. And, uh, you know, we never really, we took the music seriously and what we were doing seriously, but, you know, we wanted to have an entertaining element to, to everything we did. And I don't know, it's just our personalities, too. We laugh a lot. And we're just, you know, idiots, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> just always had a good sense of humor with it and stuff. Because, honestly, you know, you know that, how he's in, Everyone started taking themselves so seriously, and really, it's like Halloween every day or something. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I don't know. I've, I'll, I always have tongue in cheek, you know, kind of attitude towards everything. Yeah, it definitely comes through in the music, that's for sure. Now, you're talking about a time where a band really had to bust their ass to make it, had to get out there and, and take yep. those gigs wherever they could get them. Nowadays, it seems like all you got to do is put together a YouTube video, but you're competing with a billion people. Which way do you think is going to be the easiest way to do it? What's the, what's the best way to do it, to make it? Well, God, you know, if there was a, if I had the magic answer, I'd be on an island in Fiji somewhere, you know. Boy, I wouldn't guess, we all? Yeah, every time, every generation, I guess, has their own way of going out about things. And I guess technology, since the Internet and everything has made things easier, but it's also made things harder because, it waters it all down, really. It's a lot easier, like you said. You don't even have to leave your house or ever do a gig or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm happy we come from the time we did because we were actually physically out there working two and 300 shows a year to learn our craft and, you know, get it together. Nowadays, I don't know if that's even, you know, viable situation as far as financially and, you know, if the venues are there or that kind of thing. I don't know. You know, there's no middle anymore. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like there's record companies anymore. And I don't know. I think it's you know you're talking two different times. You know what I mean? Obviously, for for someone like myself to keep going, I have to adapt to the the new technology and everything too. You know what I mean? Which is not a problem for me. But how are you using the new technology? Pardon me. How how do you use it? Well, obviously, just with the internet, you know, it's, it's easier to get your message out and stuff. And, you know, I think I'm lucky enough to have enough fans that self-promote me as well, you know what I mean? Like like, like you say, the YouTube and stuff, there's so much crap out there. I don't even know what's out there. Yeah. So it's got to be kind of a thrill to get up one day and go on the YouTube, you know, and put in Killer Dwarves or Rust Dwarf and say, well, look at that, there's a show from, you know, 83 on here. I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> I try actually that that was a weird thing in the last like you know three or four years to do a show and you know I'm used to people taking pictures and you know when the cell phone cameras came out and all that crap and I've been thinking oh they're taking a, a picture I'll give you a picture and then you know you're home a couple hours later and friggin things on the internet mm-hmm. like a video it's just you know, it can be good, it could be bad. It depends on the kind of night you had, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I try, I re- honestly, I don't watch 
watch the stuff, my own stuff. Like uh-huh. how cringy. <laughs> I'm the same way with listening to myself on this show. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and that brings us right here to where we are now, the Decibel Geek Podcast with Russ Dwarf, man. It don't get much cooler than that. Beautiful. You know, it's like uh, right now uh, there's a company here, and uh, they're doing a documentary. Uh, you know, everybody's got to have a documentary, right? Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Started with your Canadian brothers, didn't it? The big one with Anvil. Yeah, my Canadian brothers, Anvil. Well, I grew up with those cats, too, and everything. So everybody needs a documentary. It's just not. It's not happening. Right, for <laughs> sure. They're doing one on my life, and I'm. I've been uh, uploading because one of the first things I bought when I was like a young kid with the, with you know my first royalty check was like a video camera back in the early '80s, and I filmed everything. I was mental. Mm-hmm. Nice. I've been uploading all this footage for this company, and it's just outrageous. So all the good footage isn't in, it's it's not on YouTube, it's in your closet. No, yeah, I have all the good stuff. Nice. So I have all the tours and the albums and the making of this and the, just uh, everyday antics. And the live shows, I have a lot of live shows and it's, oh, it's painful. It's hard for me to watch it. <laughs> really? Speaking of... Uh, like I was on crack or something before crack well, was invented. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the live shows, I read that uh, you once had your eyeball pushed out of the socket? Mm-hmm. How did that? Yeah, how I got I got to hear this one. I did. I don't, it was uh, it was right at the start of the show, and uh, Jerry, the Codfather, the guitar player at the time, he had one of those pointy death stick guitars, and, and it had the like one of the switches didn't have like a plastic knob on it. it oh no. like a Steel piece. Oh no. Somehow I connected with it, and oh. it my eye. Right out of the socket. Oh my God! In the first song, and we always just continue on the place could be, you know, falling down. And I just went to the side of the stage, and it was bleeding, and and the uh, road manager just kind of popped it back in. Oh, popped it back in. That's all you can do with <laughs> something like and that. We continued on, and I've gotten knocked out a number of times and by guitars. And there was a lot of injury. Nice. <laughs> Back in those days, we were very physical. Yeah. You know, broke a lot of ribs and twisted things. and Not feeling it at this stage, for sure. <laughs> Rubbing our last two brain cells together. <laughs> this is a Decibel Geek Podcast. And the new thing you're doing now is this uh, this group Hard Road, and I uh, I heard the song Tempted. I gotta say, very good stuff. Um, and I also heard, you know, read up a little bit on uh, the thing with Moxie. Um, are you settled with those groups? Or are you are you looking to possibly front a new band in the future? Well, I've got a whole bunch of things going on. Uh, the Hard Road thing came about from a record company up here, and they were trying to put together some a bunch of uh, Canadian. Uh, veterans and to go out and you know that uh, it was like four 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 or five guys from you know different bands that were famous here and we're going to put together this little project and go out and play songs from each one of these bands and uh, Earl Johnson the guitar player from Moxie which is a classic Canadian band that's been around since the early 70s mm-hmm. here they were like the Led Zeppelin of 
of Canada kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started rehearsing, and instead of like learning the songs that we were supposed to learn, we ended up just writing a whole whack of tunes and said, oh, let's go in and do it. And then it kind of turned into that situation. And at the same time, Moxie had lost their singer uh, left. And uh, I was a huge Moxie fan since I was like 14 years old. I opened up for them at my high school. <laughs> got kicked off the stage and everything. And like 33 years later, I ended up in Moxie. And I, and I love the band. I, I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar, if you guys have any of the tunes, I could send you some tunes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that but would be great. Were, I could, I'll send you the hard go too, if you want it. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Moxie is a classic Canadian band and, and I, like I said, I grew up with them, and it was, it's, you know, it's a pleasure to, they don't do a lot of shows anymore, it, you know, 10, 10 to 20 shows a year or whatever, but it's really fun for me to, to sing that stuff that I grew up with, it's, and it's different for me to actually not have written songs and everything, but uh, mm-hmm. Harvard was a side situation that Earl and I have still at this point, and right now I have a, I do a, a, an acoustic uh, duo with a, uh, an old friend of mine, and we do basically uh, best of Killing Dwarfs, like acoustically, and some hard-road stuff, and some Moxie stuff, and some stuff off the solo album, and a bunch of uh, cover tunes that you know I loved as I was growing up, like Samantha Cooper and Beatles, and, you know everybody in his brother seems to be doing this thing too. So mm-hmm. nothing's new under the sun, man. And rock and roll, <laughs> well, it, chords, I know both of them. Yeah, that's, that sounds really cool, man. I'd I'd love to see that if it came to Nashville. I'd definitely yeah, be in line to get a ticket. We're trying to get down there. I just did some some shows up here with John Carabi. Yeah, he's we're, a res- resident here. We were wondering about that. We were going to ask you what that was like hanging out with yeah, John Carabi. That yeah. sounds really cool. It was great. He's a really great guy, super down to earth guy, and uh, we had a, a lot of laughs. And <clears throat> very talented cat. And, it would be nice to work with him in the future. He's he's got a uh, solo album coming out, and he's busy and he's doing lots of stuff. But a, a really fabulous person. Yeah, I, I got to interview him a few years back, and yeah, he was. We talked for like an hour and a half. It felt like I was talking to like a friend I had had for years, you know. Yeah, he's that kind of cat. He's just a normal dude and a great uh, rock and roller, no doubt about it. Yeah, he, he calls me Chico Dwarf. Chico Dwarf. Chico Dwarf. <laughs> You've got to give him a dwarf name. <laughs> you changed my name. Yeah, I should. Give <laughs> me a hangover. Oh, I'm oh, sure. Right. <laughs> That's great. Now you're talking about I'm some new material. Now you're talking about some new material, maybe with under the dwarf's name. Were you planning on doing something with those guys? Well, there's there's a million there's a million rumors and things, and, and right now my agent is he's trying to get me put a live band together. I did have a, I had a live band, like the Dwarfs uh, disbanded in like 1995, and then in 2001, mm-hmm. uh, the Dirty Weapons Methods and the Mavis Band all lineup got back together, and we did like five years of shows, and we did a live DVD and a live album, I don't know if you know about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did a bunch of dates, and then we basically, you know, closed up shop in 95, uh, Christ, what year is it? <laughs> in 2005 we basically called it a day for that and then uh, uh, in the last couple of years I had a, a best of kind of dwarf band I had a bunch of great guys called the Mongols from uh, Montreal a couple of brothers on guitar uh, a great drummer and, and bass player and uh, we did a bunch of shows and 
and uh, since then I haven't haven't worked with them. But and I just like I said, I had a, I've had a lot of personal family situations to uh, to take priority over you know the rest of all that comedy. Yeah, you can make all the plans you want, but sometimes yeah. life just gets in the way of them. You know, it's just reality. So, and and then I start at the same time I started working with their own, which is the hard road and the, and the mocks and stuff. So I've I've been busy with that, but in the last, you know, since maybe the spring, I've started to do this uh, duo stuff and doing all this and getting out and playing. And uh, now my agent, he, he want he's really pushing for me to do uh, another like a, a version of of the door. So we're talking about putting that together. In January, and I have a few people that I'm talking to that you know possibly do it and stuff. It's just it's a lot of work and time to do it, and I and I love doing it. Don't get me wrong, I love getting out there and rocking out. Well, let me ask you this: so if you say Russ Dwarf, you know, put together the Killer Dwarfs for 2011, and you can choose from any musician out there alive today, and they're available and they're ready to do it. Who would you pick for the band? What, like my dream lineup? Your dream lineup with you on lead vocals. <clears throat> well, I'd, I'd love to get Daryl Dwarf to play drums. Oh, my God. Nice. We started, we started the band together. Oh, God. Bass player-wise, Steve Harris or Getty Lee for sure. This nice. is like the imaginary lineup. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe Bumblefoot on guitar. Really? That'd be a good pick. I think he's fabulous. Yeah. And he's a nice guy, too. He's a, he's a great guy. Mitch he's told like, me that, too. Yeah, He's like John. He's just like totally a funny, laid-back dude and just super talented guy. What an interesting lineup that would be. Wouldn't it? That would be great. That would be great. I want to hear um a little bit about, because I know you guys did a lot of touring with Iron Maiden back in the day. Um, What was that like in general? And there, uh, There's a story about, was it Daryl that wound up naked on the stage with them at one point? He did. Touring with them was probably like one of the best times we've ever had, like with another band. And they're just the greatest people to work with, and they just treat you with so much respect. And you know, I can't say enough good things about that that group of people and their organization. They're just amazing people, and I see them every time they come around here. And uh, Steve is just like he's the shit. They're just he's the greatest guys and we had such a great time we were you know we were very young and we were coming off our our first album with epic i think big deal i think that record and we did some dates with them in the states and and we really got along with them and they uh they knew they were going to do a tour in the uk and uh, they couldn't really say anything to us but they called us and asked us to come and do it we said oh well we have to think about it And, of course, we went over and did it, and uh, we did the Seventh Sun tour with them, and it was just uh, an amazing time. You know, we were young kids, and, and some of the dates were just like dream dream dates. I think the last week we did with them in, in the U.K. was uh, we did two nights at Hammersmith. Nice. And, uh, a night off, and we did two nights at Wembley, mm-hmm. and then we right went on. back to Hammersmith for a final night. Wow. Man, those <laughs> must have been awesome shows. Was that the biggest crowd you'd ever played it in front of? Probably at the at the Wembley stuff, but uh, just the the week a week like that alone, and to play a venue like Hammersmith, it's just yeah. a gig that, that you you have as as a kid, you know. For sure. I was there at eight o'clock in the morning, standing on the stage. Wow, man! <laughs> <Hammersmith>. <laughs> but uh, 
Daryl's antics. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. It was. It's the last thing that's doing. There's a lot of antics that go on. I think they came out and tied us and, at the end of our set, and uh, and uh, so a, a whole array of comedy was planned for that night. I think uh, actually at one point, and I do have footage of all this. At one point, the the main crew made a, a Stonehenge. And uh, it was Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. They dropped it down over Nico's kit, and Daryl and, and and Mike went out and danced around it with the warp dancing on it. That's awesome. And Bruce picked up Daryl and threw him into the audience. I think it parted like the Red Sea. <laughs> I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. All right? That tended to understate the hugeness of the object. At one point, uh, Daryl, who we affectionately call Dog's Balls Miller, <laughs> and he has a new band out and everything. We could talk about that in a too. But he uh, he just wanted to do a gag with them, and he always he's a very he was a very flamboyant dresser in that back then. Not that he is it now, but uh, he had these zebra cowboy boots, and he had like some zebra friggin' Uh, bikini underwear and wow. like, a pair of my Mickey Mouse suspenders and he had those on. And he had a mask <laughs> on. And he was going to run out on, you know, I don't know if you know that tour, but it was like icebergs and stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He could, he could run up on it and, on the staging. And he, uh, Daryl had uh, had a mask on. And he was going to run out there and dive with your boots on and j- go jump around on top of the thing. So he, and, and Daryl is a Canadian, so he loves to drink and you know, it's just our national pastime. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, he he ran out on stage uh, in this getup, and uh, immediately Bruce took the mask off, and Daryl just skibbled up the back of the the set and was standing up on top dancing around. Then he came running down, and he ran back out to the front of the stage. I think this is on YouTube. And he <laughs> and Bruce grabbed the suspenders, and they just you know, it was like a cartoon. Daryl was going one way and he was going the other and he just snapped and his, his underwear and his suspenders came off and Mike was like buck naked out there at Hammersmith. And Daryl hit the deck right in front of me. I, I was filming the whole thing and, he, you know, of course, he didn't spill a drop. Nice. Oh, yeah. That's alcohol right, abuse. Absolutely. He got right back out up, and ran out and threw the, the drink at Bruce. Buck naked. He, he, it was a classic moment rock comedy. That's wonderful. Man, I'm looking forward to that documentary coming out the more we talk. Mm-hmm. It should be fun. We'll see. It's going to take a while for you to do What we do is we need that extra push over the cliff. You know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. The only podcast that goes to 11. One loud. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Let me ask you: um, Do you think that do you think that Canadian bands have a harder time of, of making it than, than American bands? Do you think there's a stigma attached to the 
Canadian label? I don't know. You know, for us, like at the time when we were trying, you know, we were trying to get to the States, but there was no way to to actually do it. But when we did our first album, uh, someone got got a whole, I don't even think we had a distribution deal down there, but uh, somebody in Texas, a guy named Joe Anthony, the godfather of rock, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Well, you could look him up too. He was instrumental in helping a lot of bands, and especially a lot of Canadian bands. And he got a hold of our record, and it went number one in San Antonio, which I'm sure you guys know that that's like one of the rockin'est places on the planet. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. That was something I was reading about Moxie too. Is that they're huge Same in with, Canada and Texas. Yeah. Same with Moxie. They're huge there. They're their first album is like gospel. Like when we go down there, it's it's, it's incredible to see, uh, you know, seven, eight thousand people singing every one of those songs. It's an awesome moment. <clears throat> but the, the KDs were big down there as well, and uh, there's it, it was basically our start, to, to, you know, into the, into the states. I don't know, you know, you know, there's like great rock and roll bands from this country. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. Yeah. For God's sakes, like Rush, man. Let's. You know, they're the top of the fucking heap, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, bands like April Wine, and you know, and there's tons of like localized bands that you guys probably don't even know of that are great rock and roll bands. It is a big step to get over, you know. Well, here's here's a Canadian band that everybody's heard of, and I was wondering what you think of them. It's Nickelback. Now, Nickelback don't get a whole lot of respect on our show because we're about the heavier stuff, the more rock mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, just as an honest opinion of your Canadian brothers, you know, what do you think of Nickelback? I Honestly, I don't really know a, a lot of their music, mm-hmm. and I always see that they are, they do get a lot of grief, but that's probably because they're so successful and a lot of people like them, you know what I mean? Like, uh, anybody that's trying hard to do something, you know, you got to give them respect. And if you don't like them, you know, that's the problem, I think, with the internet now, too. You can anonymous you know, carve on people without, you know, showing your face. I don't know any songs that I've heard. I've, I've liked them. I'm not like, I can't say that I'm a huge fan or that I'm like familiar with much of their music, but, you know, at least you're playing fucking rock and roll with fucking guitars. I guess the the thing that can bother me at times, though, with them, not it's, <clears throat> and obviously I, I'm not anonymous, I'll show my face about what I think about mm-hmm. them, but um, it's just the, I guess it's sort of the record, it's more of the record industry than the band. It's just like, I don't understand why a band like Nickelback will get such a huge push from record companies, yet you guys put out stuff like Stand Tall and Dirty Weapons, which should have had a much bigger promotional push done for it, as for far sure. as I'm concerned. Well, you know what I mean? Just because it's successful doesn't mean it's good. Right. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's successful. You know what I mean? There's two words in show business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Show business right it has nothing to do with talent whatsoever you know and the the more things you know change the more they stay the same it's reality it's because some corporate guy like likes something and has the money and the ability to put put you know some push behind something doesn't mean he knows dog shit about fucking music right you know what i mean or what people like amen you know what i mean it's just reality we all have opinions and you know, that's what keeps the world different, I guess. You know, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And 
and it's changed so much and you know i would hate to be a young band starting today i i wouldn't know what the hell to do you know go on iraqi and idol <laughs> i yeah. suppose there's so many crazy outlets nowadays. there's too many outlets as far as i'm concerned but you know is, does anybody even buy records anymore not really kids, kids think music is free and mm-hmm. you know there's there's different ways you have to make your money and blah 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 and, right. you know, i don't think anything's really changed that much <clears throat> as far as financially i think it's always been kind of ugly it doesn't matter how big of a deal you have and everything basically that back when we were signed to epic and and things like that it was uh you know they're just like a giant bank with a huge uh interest rate mm-hmm. yeah and you're you're lucky enough to do it and you know personally i definitely could you know see the reality of it so you might as well you know go big or go home and if you had that opportunity to spend that money, it's not like they're sending you a check to your house going, hey, oh, well, you can pay the bills. You know, we got to work with great people like Andy Jones and like these legends of music and learn a lot from these people and do some great records. I'm completely proud of everything that we, we did at mm-hmm. the Dwarves. Right. And um, uh, one of the things I also... Look, I went off on a tangent. No, no, no. What the fuck I'm talking about? No, man. You, you know a lot more about it than we do. Yeah, no kidding. It sounds to me... <laughs> With the situations with the dwarfs, I mean, you guys probably seen it all. What a manager of a band this guy would make, huh? Yeah. I mean, if you if Russ Dwarf was your manager and you were in the band, you could pretty much guarantee that no one's pulling a fast one on you. Well, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so now the dwarfs have played pretty much everywhere, right? All the way, all over Canada, down in San Antonio, yeah. Texas. Have you guys ever played in Nashville? I'd have to look it up. I, I usually have a really good memory. Actually, I, I was in Nashville last year. I spent my 50th birthday in Nashville. Really? Yeah, I went camping just outside of town. What's, what's the place called? Mothersboro? Uh, Murphy's Murfreesboro? Murfreesboro. Yeah, we're about 10 minutes away from there. <laughs> well, I always get that wrong. But there's a, some Army Corps of Engineers campground out there. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was fabulous. We loved it. No one was there. It was peaceful as hell. And uh, it was that really, really hot, yeah, humid, humid period. Oh yeah, yeah. It's tough to go camping when it's like that. Oh, it was brutal. We spent the, the night in the lake. We just went in the lake. But we we were down there for that. Oh, that's cool. But I'm sure we played in Nashville. I don't know. That must have been when we were the country dwarfs. The country dwarfs. <laughs> yeah, taking the O out of country dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Well, nice. speaking of uh, shows in the South, uh, I once read that you said the worst show you ever played was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, now, I'll go ahead and tell you that we don't have any listeners from Tulsa, Oklahoma, so you can oh, tell us what, what what happened. What about Oral Roberts? Doesn't he listen on to your show? I doubt it. <laughs> I highly doubt it. I think that it was, I don't, I don't know if we sucked, but it was just a nightmare, I think. I think it was like, if I recall, it just, I don't even think Stan Paul was out. I think it was just coming out, and we were really new down there, and it was just some weird routing that happened, and we ended up, God, I think we were in Corpus the day before, and we had a really good show, and I think we were just basically going, oh, fuck it, let's leave and go, and our manager flipped on us, and <clears throat> we ended up in Tulsa at some some bar, and I guess at that time, you'd have to bring your own food to the bar. There's all these weird rules, and and uh, we were like, oh my God, this, they're not even going to know who we are, right? And uh, 
so we said, oh, fuck it, let's play a couple of originals and let, let's do a bunch of covers and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So we started playing that. And I think it was actually on uh, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, I had gotten off the stage because I think Mike was doing some Hendrix or something, and some hecklers were going crazy, and it was just one of those days the tension just grew and grew and grew. And this guy was up at the stage, and he's starting to uh, fuck with Mike, and this isn't a guy you want to fuck with, period. But I think I was in a bad mood or something happened. I, I was very young, you know. I'm a lover, <laughs> motherfucker. But I somehow this guy was like this big galoot, and I ended up with my hands around his throat, and I was just on 10 pushing him all the way to the back of the bar. And as I got to the back of the bar, there's my road manager and the manager of the bar oh. standing right there. And I got my hands around this guy's throat like a freaking, you know, rabbit chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those ugly, ugly adventures. And I think one of the problems was, too, they put us, they didn't have a dressing room, so they put us in where all the booze was. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. So a few bottles of Jack Daniels. Probably yeah. That could have contributed. <laughs> yeah, there's a million crazy crazy stories like that, you know, like shit that happens that you forget about until someone reminds you. Yeah. Nice. Well I'm glad that we could remind you. <laughs> yeah, I have an elephant like a memory. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So what's uh what's in the future for uh, Rust Dwarf? Well, like I said, I'm going to I'm I'm do, I'm doing a bunch of shows. I've been I've just finished a whole bunch of dates and I'm I'm a week off and uh and I'm going to go and do another little run of uh, this uh, acoustic stuff. Got about uh, 10 shows coming up. Going to do that, try to get through uh, Christmas and everything. And, uh, and, and you know, like I said, I'm, I'm talking about putting a, a, rock, a rock band version together mm-hmm. of uh, the Dwarfs. And hopefully I'll be down to the, the U.S. Uh, yeah, bring it to the States. Yeah, we, we're, we're working on it, man. I love uh, the United States. Of America, <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm your, you know, adopted son since I spent so much time there. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, like I was telling you. I live in California, and I just love the people down there. I love the attitude, and, and I know they love to rock. And you know, I I, I feel like uh, I'm a part of the country as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm a good Canadian born, but I love you guys. Well, I appreciate. I'll, I'll keep trying to talk my wife into moving to, to uh, Texas. But going for it <laughs> she loved it too though i brought i i, I uh, had her down there with me and she just totally can see why you know i love it yeah. everyone's got a great attitude man. I, I, I love it i love the whole vibe well that's good i've i've noticed the same thing about canadians most canadians i've talked to have a very positive good good attitude so and good. You, you included and i grew and i grew up in wisconsin so i'm half damn canadian anyway you are half canadian. <laughs> you're right up there man I'm a damn damn Yankee down here and a damn Canadian when I'm home. That's right. <laughs> you, you got it, pal. Have a good one, guys. You, you too. All right, I want to thank Russ Dwarf for that wonderful conversation. I thought that went really well. What do you think about that, Aaron? That was very cool. I really enjoyed talking to Russ. You know, Russ, anytime you want to come back on the show, brother, you're more than welcome to. And 
you know, maybe sitting on with us on some of the other things that we do or whatever. But, you know, we've got to move on. We've got a lot of big things coming up here in the future at Decibel Geek Podcast. You guys stay tuned. You know, what do we got coming up next? What's the next thing? Uh, probably another Nashville Extra episode will come up for those local people here. Um, also want to thank our uh, new Canadian geek friends that have probably joined us after this show. Hey. Uh, hope you subscribe. Um, I, I usually don't promote us very much on the show, so I'm going to go ahead and take a minute to do that now. Um, you can find us on iTunes. Just search for Decibel Geek Podcast. One thing, we'd really love to get iTunes reviews because that helps us a lot and helps us get more listeners to join you guys. So that would help a lot. Uh, also, dbgeekshow.blogspot.com is the, is the website. We don't only just post the episodes. We have uh, site, you know, some regular posts and articles and stuff that uh, might make you laugh, might not. Who cares? It's free. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash decibelgeek and on Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Somebody told me recently, like, you don't ever promote your other stuff when you're on the show, so consider it promoted now. There's so much. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, folks, and uh, we'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.